Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you got a Bible, open it up to Galatians chapter number three. Galatians chapter number three, we began a brand new series last week that I didn't know I was beginning until about two days before, two or three days before last Sunday. Uh, it became a message and then a series real, real fast. Um, but we, we are t- calling the series um, Bewitched, and it, this title did not come from that famous TV show. I know some of you thought he got that title from the TV show. No, I got the title from Galatians chapter 3, verse number 1. And last week, we talked specifically about um, how there is power in the cross um, and that the enemy wants to obscure our view of the cross because the cross is what is, is the reason why we can be saved, healed, delivered. Everything God did, how many know he did it at the cross? He paid for it there. And so the scripture is Galatians 3, 1. It says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. The word bewitched means affected by or as if by witchcraft or magic. It means to be under a spell, to be enchanted, to be charmed, to be fascinated by someone or something. The Galatian church had allowed a spirit of witchcraft into the church that had obscured their view of the cross. And the enemy wants to obscure the cross because the cross is powerful. Today I'm going to go a little deeper, and uh, I'm excited about the message, but some of you are going to be real nervous as I get into the message. But I want to deal with the nature of witchcraft today, and specifically I want to call this message Exposing witchcraft. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, well, man, there ain't no witches. What's he preaching this for? You're going to be surprised how susceptible we can be to a spirit of witchcraft. And so today we want to expose the spirit, but how many know it's not enough to expose it? We need to overcome it, right? And so I'm going to go to a secondary verse out of 1 Samuel chapter number 15, verse number 23. It says this, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. In these words spoken by the prophet Samuel to King Saul, Samuel made two comparisons addressing two very sinful attitudes. Those two sinful attitudes are rebellion and stubbornness. How does God view those? How does God evaluate those? We see it from this one scripture, very powerful, that rebellion is a twin of witchcraft and stubbornness is a twin of idolatry. Now, let's look at stubbornness real quick, stubbornness being a form of idolatry. And you may say, well, how does that occur? It occurs because the stubborn person makes idols out of his or her own opinions. So that stubbornness becomes 
idolatry. In the church, we have no problem dealing with immorality. Usually, we, if somebody is living an immoral life, we have no problem calling it out. But the question then becomes, how much idolatry do we tolerate? Most of us, if somebody came in to the room today with a um, wooden image, uh, a golden image, and they during worship, they brought their little statue up to the front, placed it on the platform, and then bowed down and began worshiping it, we would probably say, hey, stop the nonsense. But stubbornness is a form of idolatry, and oftentimes, though we would not allow idolatry in the form of worshiping a statue or an image, we allow idolatry by tolerating stubborn people who are stuck in their ways, who worship at the altar of their own opinion, stubbornness being a form of idolatry. Rebellion, on the other hand, has at its root witchcraft. When you find rebellion, you can anticipate witchcraft. And we have seen this this year while ministering deliverance, being a year where we've really seen a lot of people set free from demonic strongholds. When ministering deliverance to people, we have discovered that many people that are delivered from a spirit of witchcraft also have to be delivered from a spirit of rebellion that rebellion is actually the root of witchcraft. Rebellion rejects God's legitimate authority, just as in the text we read out of 1 Samuel, King Saul rejected the authority of God's word. How many of you understand that we cannot exist in life for very long without authority? And if there is no legitimate authority, then we will settle for illegitimate authority, and illegitimate authority is the breeding ground for both rebellion and witchcraft, all right? As we get a little bit deeper into this, if you look at the story in 1 Samuel, if you, if you look at that for a minute, King Saul, if you remember the story at all, he disobeyed God's instructions that when they went in to take the city, they were to slaughter everything in the city. They were to get rid of everything there. And instead of doing what God had said to do, Saul kept what he called the best as an offering to God. And God said to King Saul, I'm not interested in your sacrifice because your sacrifice is coming out of disobedience. That's why the Bible says that obedience is better than sacrifice. Sometimes the reason we're sacrificing is because we've been disobedient. And so God addresses Saul and says, hey, I'm not interested in the sacrifice because you disobeyed. And I find it interesting as well that King Saul had put out in 1 Samuel 28, he had gotten rid of all the witches in Israel. He had gotten rid of them. But before his death, when he could not hear from God, he himself sought out with desperation uh, a witch so that he could get a word for his life. This was not an accident. This was cause and effect because when there is rebellion, sooner or later, there will also be witchcraft. Witchcraft and rebellion are twins. When you deal with witchcraft, if you only deal with the occult, the spiritual, you have not dealt with the root because the root is always rebellion. And when it comes to witchcraft, there are two aspects to it. 
There's a natural aspect of witchcraft, and then there's a supernatural. And usually when we begin talking about witchcraft, everybody gets real deep and real spiritual, not understanding that witchcraft is listed as a work of the flesh. Everybody say the flesh. It's listed as a work of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, 19 and 20 says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, yeah, we get it. Impurity, we get it. Debauchery, we get it. But look at the next two. Idolatry and witchcraft are listed as a work of the flesh. Now, some translations will use sorcery here instead of witchcraft. King James uses the term witchcraft instead of sorcery. Regardless of which version you use, you have the same meaning. Witchcraft is a work of the flesh. That means that witchcraft is an expression of an unregenerated heart. It's of, a, of the fallen human nature. That a life that is not following Jesus or a life that is not submitted to the Holy Spirit has the potential to operate in a spirit of witchcraft. So what, what, what is witchcraft in a nutshell? Witchcraft is a desire to control people. It's a desire to control people. Um, and we can see it in every society, in, in every part of society. We can see it in government. We can see it in the banking system. We can see it in families. We can see it in the church. It is a desire to control people. We desire to get people to do what we want, and very often we will use illegitimate means to make that happen. I'll give you three expressions of witchcraft. You may want to write these three words down because these are the three words that come along with witchcraft. Number one, dominate. Dominate. Number two, intimidate. Witchcraft is about domination. Secondly, intimidation. And then there's a third word we're all very, uh, very well aware of. That is the word manipulation. So witchcraft... Will, will work through domination, intimidation, or manipulation. Those are the three words that we see come alongside of witchcraft. The end purpose is to control or dominate, and usually people will use manipulation to do it, or they'll use intimidation to do it. And this is all in the natural. I'm not even talking about anything supernatural yet. Witchcraft, as a work of the flesh, operates... And some examples of this, how many of you know that whether people like it or not, God has established authority? He has established authority. For instance, in the home, the husband and the wife, that is God's established authority, which means that the kids that are born in that house are under the authority of their parents, under the authority of mom and dad. That means that the parents are not under the authority of the kids. Can I get an amen right there? That is God's established authority. Now things get upside down when the kids start running the home. And, and that is called witchcraft. Because kids, how many know that children can learn to be manipulators? Young kids can learn how to manipulate. And, and here, let me give you an example, because if I don't make this message practical, you're going to tell people, he preached on witches, and I don't, I don't know how it applies to anything. But kids can be master manipulators. For, here, here's just a quick example. Say you're hosting some people over at your house, and so you and your spouse, you're making some desserts, and you tell the kids, 
hey, these desserts are off limits. These are for the guests that we're going to host in a little while. And they say, okay, mom, okay, dad, whatever. Okay, I won't touch the brownies. I won't touch the cookies. But your guests come over, everybody's there, and then they walk in real nicely and say, hey, mama, may I have a brownie? May I have a cookie? You've already told them it's off limits. But they come in and say, may I, in front of your, your, your people that you're hosting, your guests, and what does mommy and daddy normally do in that situation? Mommy and daddy normally, I'm guilty just like you, we normally, we will cave, give them what we said they could not have because we don't want to cause a scene, but guess what? Your kids know that, so we're teaching them at a young age that you can get what you want if you know how to manipulate. Kids can be master manipulators and learn at a very young age how to get what they want and to control you. We see that not only in kids, but it can happen in mothers and fathers. The most common way for witchcraft to operate in a woman is manipulation. Notice I said the most common. Doesn't mean they can never use intimidation, but the most common would be manipulation. For a man, the most common is intimidation. Now, these can go back and forth depending on personality, but for the most part, women use manipulation and men use intimidation. But each of them has the same aim, to control the other person. Example, the wife does not get her way. So what does she do when she doesn't get her way? She throws a tearful fit, withholds affection, and makes her husband's life miserable. What does the husband do? He caves. Not understanding that when he caves, he's under the spirit, under the spell of witchcraft. Vice versa. The husband doesn't get what he wants. And so to get what he wants, I'm going to scream, I'm going to yell, I'm going to make everybody be afraid of me until everybody caves and gives me what I want. What's he doing? He's operating in a spirit of witchcraft to get his own way. Listen, you may have differences in your marriage. That's going to happen. But the divine order is that couples, instead of fighting with one another, intimidating one another, manipulating one another, is that we seek God together, we communicate, and we pray, and we ask God to touch both our hearts so that we can move forward in unity. Can I get a praise right there? Instead of all this intimidating, manipulating stuff that we get into. Manipulation never faces the real issues. It always goes behind. The real issues are never brought to the light. Instead of dealing with things God's way, we attempt to control through manipulation and intimidation, which means we are under a spell, get this, we are bewitched. In a church setting, it can happen when people think that they have a better vision than that which has already been given. They come and, you know, people will, they may not say it out loud, but they, they think that they have a vision that's better than the pastor's vision. And if you think that or try to facilitate that, I, I hate to break it to you, you're acting like a witch. I thought, I, I, yeah, that's about what I thought I would get right there. Um, and so it can ha I tell young pastors all the time, be very leery of the people who want a meeting with you, not to talk to you 
about how they can support the vision that's already been established, but they want a meeting with you to talk to you about the new things that you need to be doing. Because if God didn't tell you as the pastor, that probably means that God doesn't intend for that to happen in that local church. And so if they want that, then they should probably go plant their own church. Because listen, what is division? Do you know what division is? Two visions. That's all division is. It's two visions. And, and it would be no different. We, we don't understand this as it relates to church, but we get it in business. If I showed up at your business and said, hey, uh, God sent me here. And you're going to do this this quarter and this next quarter, and this is what you need. You'd say, get your behind out of here, pastor. You sick to preach, and this is my business, right? God is not going to give me the vision for your business, just like God is not going to give you the vision for this church. Why do I have to preach this stuff? You know why? Because people will come and say, hey, I've got seven people that want to do A, B, and C, and the thing they want to do, God didn't tell me to do, and so when I tell them no, instead of seeing that as protection, you know what they see it as? Church hurt. How do you get church hurt over me telling you no to a vision God never told me to do? Y'all better, better help me. We're going to be here. Lock the doors. I have to talk about this stuff because I have young pastors will call me and say, I got this person once a meeting. They want me to do A, B, and C. And I just simply, does God want you to do A, B, and C? Well, no, he never told me to do it. Then tell them no. And you can tell when a person is under the spirit of witchcraft when you tell them no and they get offended. Oh, I, I, it's real good in here right now, isn't it? Witchcraft is a very real thing, and it's not just something that happens in other nations of the wor world. And we, we, we all want to think of witchcraft as, as this super spiritual thing. But listen, intimidation, manipulation, domination in the family, in the church, at the workplace can all be forms of, the, of a spirit of witchcraft. And two good examples from the Bible of witchcraft on a higher level come from Delilah and Jezebel. In the case of Delilah, although Samson was what we would call the strongest man in the scripture, Delilah was actually stronger than Samson. Because the Bible tells us that she wore him down. She had moods. She had mood swings. She said to him, you don't really love me. And this strong man would cave. And, and listen to me, guys, I, I, there are few men strong enough to deal with witchcraft in a woman that eventually you're going to cave. Come on, y'all, smile. You're going to cave. You're going to give in. Uh, and, and listen, I, I'm not saying go home and say, hey, there's witchcraft in here, and we're about to deal with it because you're going to get in trouble. All right? You're going to get in some major trouble. That's probably not how you need to go about it. Um, the other from Scripture is Jezebel. We know that Jezebel was able to rule Israel not because she was had authority in Israel, but she was able to get Ahab to do whatever she wanted him to do. And it's interesting that Jezebel is not just referred to in the Old Testament, but we see her in the New Testament in the book of Revelation chapter 2, not outside of the church, but inside the church. And the New Testament warns us that witchcraft would be a part of what would happen and what would want to infiltrate the New Testament church. And so witchcraft is a work of the flesh, has three trademarks, manipulation, intimidation, and domination. 
And whenever you see or encounter these activities behind them, that is the power of witchcraft. Now, when your eyes are open to this, you, you are better capable of dealing with it, praying against it, whatever God needs you to do for that, you can deal with it. But I don't want you to hear this message today and leave here thinking, well, that person is, is you know, they got the spirit of witchcraft. And this person's got the spirit of witchcraft. I don't want us to leave here trying to figure out who has witchcraft. I want us to leave here seeing where there may be parts of our own lives where we have submitted to, let's not use the word witchcraft, to manipulate, to intimidate, or to control other people. Did you know when God gave us dominion over the earth, the one thing he never gave us dominion over was other people? He gave us dominion over the earth, but he did not give us dominion to control other people. And any attempt to control people, to make them become something or do something that they don't want to become or do, any attempt to make that happen through manipulation or intimidation is nothing more than a spirit of witchcraft. Is everybody tracking with me so far? All right. Now, it's a work of the flesh, but not merely a work of the flesh. If it's not dealt with, it can become something very spiritual, very evil. Uh, there could be layers to this, um, and it becomes more than just human ability, okay? So we want, to, we want to get it out. If we see ourselves manipulating people to get our way or intimidating, to get, let's just deal with it then. Let's not allow it to grow into this big thing that, that's harder to deal with. Now, there are three branches of this. I'm going to give you this, and then I'm going to end with eight things that happen when witchcraft is, is going on in the church, and y'all are real worried about the time, aren't you? Uh, I promise, I got you. By about 1230, you'll be leaving, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll get you out of here. Um, but I want you to get this. When it comes to witchcraft, there are three branches. The first one is witchcraft, okay? You can write that down, witchcraft. That is the power branch, okay? Its product is power, and it operates through activities such as spells and curses. Uh, perhaps the single most powerful weapon of witchcraft is curses, which is an old practice. We see it in the scripture. In Numbers 22, we find the story of Balaam, who was what we might call a witch doctor. And in verse 10 and 11, he's explaining to God uh, the proposition that he got from Balak. The scripture says this, Balaam said to God, Balak's son, of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. So this was a standard practice in the cultures of the Bible. It was normal for kings and others going to war, not merely to fight on a natural plane, but to make war on the, on the supernatural plane as well. They would get a witch doctor. They would get, find someone in the occult that would pronounce a curse over their enemy so that their enemy would be brought down to a level that they could win the battle. When Goliath came against David, and we, we've all read the story of David and Goliath, and the Bible says that he was cursing the God of David and the, gods, uh, the God of Israel. And it was more than just a display of vulgar language. He, he was actually saying, my gods can defeat your God. 
It was a spirit. How many of you know we're not fighting flesh and blood, but we are in a spiritual battle against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness in heavenly places, and we're not fighting people, but there is a real spiritual battle going on, and we need to open up our eyes to see past the physical into the spiritual and declare war on the enemy, not physically, but spiritually. Can you put a praise on that this morning? So much so, the Bible says that God judged the gods of Egypt. That wasn't just talking about natural rulers. It was talking about the principalities and the powers. Look at Exodus 12, 12. It says, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt, and I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment, here it is, on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Jeremiah 43 and 12 says he will set fire to the temples of the gods of Egypt. He will burn their temples and take their gods captive. It's a spiritual battle, not just a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. So you got witchcraft. Secondly, you got divination. The second branch is divination, which in most modern translation, uh, translations, we would call it fortune telling. Divination is the knowledge branch. Where witchcraft is the power branch, divination is the knowledge branch. The, the product is not power, but knowledge. And knowledge is what led to the first sin of man. The scripture example is found in Acts chapter 16 when Paul and Silas first arrived to preach the gospel in Philippi. In Acts 16, verse 16, it says, Once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit, this is a spirit of divination, by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. The Greek here, if you study the Greek out, you'll find the word python, a python spirit. I've preached on this in the past. In other words, a snake spirit. And remember, snakes have always been regarded in pagan society as a source of unusual knowledge, unusual wisdom. And it's significant to note that this girl, what she said, even though it was by an evil spirit, what she said was true. Get that. She's in the wrong spirit, but what she's saying is true. How many of you understand that Satan does have supernatural power? Now, it's not as mighty and powerful as God's, but he has supernatural power. So what she said was true, and she did not know this by natural means, but by supernatural means. She was a slave girl who had this ability by a spirit of divination, and the Bible says that she brought much profit to her master. In other words, her masters were getting rich by her ability to speak the truth supernaturally, and it didn't come to her by God. It came to her by the devil. In Acts 16, 17, it says, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Again, it's amazing the fact that what she said was true. She was the first person to recognize who Paul and Silas were. But Paul knew that she did not know it by God's spirit, but rather a spirit of divination. And the Bible says that he turned to her and he commanded this spirit to come up and out of this girl. 
And I love that. At this point moving forward, she was no longer able to tell fortunes. Her master, her masters were angry because they were losing money at what Paul did when he delivered this lady. And the whole city got into an uproar over one simple slave girl who was delivered from a spirit of divination. I love that story because how many know God's power is greater than Satan's power? And that one word out of the Apostle Paul's mouth, this girl was set free and the town went into an uproar. And listen, anytime the power of God is moving in a strong way, you're going to have what they have had. You're going to have riots and you're going to have revival. And I say, so be it. Let the riots break out, but let's let the revival break out as well. God is on the move. And the whole thing with deliverance that I love is that deliverance, when, the battles we've been in spiritually since we started casting devils out of people regularly, you wouldn't believe the level of spiritual warfare because it is, it is physically, you are, you are taking back territory that the devil occupied and saying you can't have it any longer. How many know the devil don't like that? It's a whole nother level of saying thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you got witchcraft, the power branch, divination, the knowledge branch, and then you got sorcery. That's the third branch. And sorcery operates through objects such as potions, charms. How many of they even got toys out now where you can make potions? You got, you got potions and charms. It, it, it's anything that you would call lucky. Some of you need to get rid of the horseshoe, the rabbit's feet, I just need to meddle a little while, maybe. That's what my pastor said, girl. I'm just going to meddle a little while. That meant he was just going to ramble for the next 30 minutes about something. I'm not going to ramble for 30 minutes about anything. But you need to get rid of the rabbit's feet, the lucky charms, all these little things that you think are lucky and superstitious, and you need to get rid of all presence of that nonsense. You need to get it out of your house. Don't put your faith in. And, and listen, the other part of sorcery, let's make it a little more practical. Um, sorcery operates through drugs. Let me just say this. The Greek word for sorcery is directly formed from the Greek word, a drug. The entire drug culture is a clear example of sorcery at work. Almost all the people who are heavily involved in drugs, when they come to Jesus, they'll need delivered from the drug, but also delivered from a spirit of sorcery. In Revelation 2, or Revelation 9, 20, 21, it says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Do you realize when revival broke out in the book of Acts, they brought all this witchcraft stuff and they burned it all? They got it all out of their homes. And go read the book of Acts. When God showed up and revival broke out, they got rid of anything that had the resemblance of witchcraft, sorcery, or divination. They got it out of their homes and out of their lives. Now, when witchcraft infiltrates a church and it comes in, there's some things that happens. There, there are some signs that witchcraft has invaded the church. 
You say, why are we talking about this? Because at the end of the day, we are a church. Jesus said, I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail. How many of we need to open our eyes to the spiritual realm? We got to know what's going on. Here's some signs of witchcraft when it comes into a local church. Number one, the carnal over the spiritual. Witchcraft promotes the carnal and suppresses the spiritual. In terms of Old Testament patterns, witchcraft puts Ishmael over Isaac. It it esteems Ishmael over Isaac. This is precisely what Islam has done. Islam teaches that Abraham did not sacrifice Isaac, but rather Ishmael, and they believe that Ishmael is the appointed heir. That witchcraft is when we are putting Ishmael over Isaac. Let me say it a little more practically. Anything we do on our own initiative, which is not initiated by God, through the Holy Spirit, will be an Ishmael. Even Jesus never done anything of his own initiative. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. The moment you and I try to start something that isn't initiated by God, we are going to produce an Ishmael. And just like Abraham, here we are 4,000 years later, there are still problems because of the Ishmael that was produced. How many Ishmaels have we produced that's still causing us problems? And God said, had you waited, I would have given you an Isaac. I would have given you a promise. I would have given you something that you didn't have to initiate, maintain, any of that. I would have given it to you. I don't know about you, but I don't want to produce an Ishmael. I want an Isaac. I want a promise from God, not not something I got to maintain in my own strength. So you got the carnal over the spiritual. Secondly, theology over revelation. Witchcraft produces theology and sets it over revelation. And this is a major problem. Theology is the study of God, and there's nothing wrong with the study of God. Nothing wrong with that. We need to, you know, study the things of God. But we need revelation of who God is. You can study it. There are people out there that have studied the Bible and have all kinds of head knowledge, but do, they do not know Jesus. They do not have revelation of who Jesus is. And many seminaries are designed to exalt human thinking above divine revelation. Jesus told Peter that one day when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus responded back to Peter and said, you've said right. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven has. And he said, you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. He wasn't saying I'm building my church on you, Peter. He's saying I'm going to build my church on the revelation that you just received that I am the Christ. I'm going to build my church based on who I am and the gates of hell will not prevail. And based on revelation, I'll give you keys so that you can bind up everything the devil's doing and start loosing everything God wants to do. But those keys don't come because we have theology. Those keys come because we have revelation. But witchcraft will exalt theology over revelation. The third thing is education over discipling. Educating over discipling. Witchcraft in the church exalts education above discipleship. 
Again, it's about head knowledge, head knowledge, head knowledge, another class, another class, another class, another class. But if you keep taking classes and you keep learning and you don't have any doing, you know that's what's wrong with the church, right? We have all this knowledge but do nothing. We've gotten fat on the knowledge. Some of us, we don't even need another sermon. We just need to put into practice all the ones we've learned. Because we don't know, it's not, it's not what we know that we understand, it's what we do that we understand. And Jesus set a model of not only teaching, but he was saying to his disciples, come alongside me and let's do this. Because if we give people knowledge and we don't teach them how to serve, knowledge puffs up. So I need knowledge, but I also need an outlet to serve with the knowledge that I have. Service in the kingdom is part of discipleship. The only safeguard against giving people knowledge is in enabling them to serve. Number four, psychology over discernment. Witchcraft exalts psychology over discernment. In other words, psychological treatment over a legitimate word from God. Now, are you saying, Pastor, are you against counseling? Are you against, you know, therapy? I'm not against anything, I'm, but I am against putting that above actual discernment from the Holy Spirit. Jesus, one day when he met the woman at the well, John, I think it's John 4, y'all know the story, he met the woman at the well, and she had a lot of issues, a lot of baggage. But in that conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well, he did not ask her about her childhood. He did not ask her about the trauma she experienced growing up. She didn't ask her, he didn't ask her about problems with her parents or a social stigma, any of those things. He simply said to her, um, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with, he ain't your husband. So one word from God, one word from God eliminated what we would do in the church is, oh, she's going to need a lot of counseling. She's going to need about six months of counseling to work through all the issues that she got. With Jesus, one word from him. You know what happened to that lady? She got radically saved, so, so much so that not only was her life changed, she went back and evangelized her entire town because one word from God eliminated all the psychology she might need. Number five, programs over supernatural direction. Witchcraft exalts programs over supernatural direction. The apostles never came up with a program for evangelizing Judea. They just did it. They were sent and they did it. There was no program for sending Philip to Samaria. He just ended up going there by direction of the Holy Spirit. And the results followed. Pastor, are you saying we're going to throw out all the systems and all the programs? No, I'm just saying we're, we're, we're going to have systems and structure. But if we get supernatural direction from God, how many know we got to push the program to the side and say, yes, Lord? Number six, eloquence over supernatural power. Jesus never gave his disciples training in homiletics. Never did. Charles Finney once said this, all the homiletical training that I've ever seen has had one aim, to make people speak as if they really meant what they were saying. Paul was highly educated, brilliant, spoke multiple languages, knew the entire law in and out, up and down. Yet in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence of human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
In other words, I'm not going to allow witchcraft to obscure Jesus and the cross. Paul had to make a decision because he had knowledge. He was brilliant. He could have impressed people with words. But he said, instead of impressing people with words, I'm going to show up and demonstrate the gospel. Number seven, as the worship team comes, reasoning over faith. Reasoning over faith. Witchcraft will always exalt reasoning above the walk of faith. God doesn't lead us by reasoning. It is a step-by-step walk with God. And the way God dealt with Abraham is the same way he deals with you and I. He doesn't tell us the whole plan. I said this in the first service. Alex and Kendallin said yes to God. Here they are, three years after coming in those back doors, sitting on the back row, slowly moving their way up to the front, receiving the call of the ministry, working on staff, and now on their way to Texas all in three years. And listen, the only difference between them and a lot of people is they put their whole yes on the table. Here's the thing I'll tell you about them. They have no idea the whole plan. They're going to get in a U-Haul this week, and they're going to drive across the country, and the only piece of the puzzle they have is go to Texas. That's all they got. And the reason a lot of us never get out of the boat and walk on the water is because we want one of those puzzles that are in the real nice box with all the pieces and we want it hand-delivered by the Holy well, not even the Holy Spirit, because then we wouldn't be sure. We need the Holy Spirit to use somebody to come deliver this box of puzzle pieces, put it all in our hand, and say, hey, here's the whole plan. But walking with God, do you know what a lot of it is? You get one little piece of a 500-piece puzzle, and he says, will you walk on the one? Will you walk on the one? Human reasoning will say, well, I don't have the plan. If you're analytical like me, I want the whole plan. I want to know where I'm going, what I'm doing, how long I'm going to be doing it for, who all is going to help me do it. I want to, how many of you are like that? You want to know the whole thing. Like, I want to know the whole thing. But I have, I've had to learn to get completely uncomfortable and get used to saying, I don't know. I don't know. I have this piece. And I'm not going to find out what the next piece is until I take a step with the piece I have. Witchcraft will keep you on the boat because you're going to need all the stuff figured out and you'll never take a step by faith. You'll continue to reason and reason and reason. And nine times out of 10, you will reason yourself out of the purpose of God. Number eight, we'll finish right here. Legalism over love. Witchcraft will exalt legalism above love. We've all ran into legalistic religious people. What you find is that legalistic religious people are always unloving. Most of us don't want to hang out with legalistic religious people who always point their bony finger and say, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. Like, I don't want to hang out with you no more. Can y'all smile real big? We don't want to hang out with legalistic religious people who say, if you don't keep my rules, you don't get in. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says this, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor 
uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And this scripture hit me like a ton of bricks this week. What really matters most is faith that works through love. And I want you to notice what kind of faith. It's not a theological faith. It's not a a faith that majors on doctrinal issues. It is a faith that operates through love. It operates through love. I want you to stand with me all over the room this morning. The eight things that I just covered are Satan's tactics to obscure Jesus and him crucified. When the church loses sight on what Jesus did at the cross and what he provided for us, we'll fall to the plan of the enemy. Witchcraft has blinded a lot of people from truth, from what God wants to do in their life. And and again, please don't go home today and say, hey, there's a spirit of witchcraft in this house and I'm here to get it out. You're probably going to end up in worse shape. I would encourage you to pray. And before you deal with witchcraft at a greater level, maybe you just want to deal with it in your own heart and say, God, I don't want to be manipulative. I don't want to use intimidation. I don't want to manipulate other people to make them become or do who I think they should become or what they should do. God didn't give me dominion over people. How many of you try to control people? Let's just be real honest. Some of us can't even control ourselves. Why are you trying to control people? I'm a work in progress. Anybody feel me? Like you're a work in progress. You're still working on controlling your own issues. And sometimes we want to control people. And some, This is for free. Sometimes our attempt to control people is because we've given up controlling ourselves. We can't get ourselves right. What's the next best thing? I can't get myself right. I'll get you right. We all got work to do. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes as the prayer team comes to the front. Campus directors can come to the front. I want to speak to people in the room today that would say that you are not right with God. You know you're not right with God. I'm not going to make prolong this. I'm not going to make it difficult, but if you know you're not right with God and you're like, Pastor, I, I know I'm not right with God, but I don't want to leave in that condition. I want to make sure that I'm right. I want to make things right. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, that's me. I want to make things right with God today. I want to make something right with God. Anyone at all? What? Right here. Thank you for this hand. God bless you. So good. Anyone else? You say, that's me. Anyone else? I want us to pray out loud together. Everyone, lift your voice. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to save me. Forgive me. I choose to repent of all my sins, and I choose to follow you. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give Jesus a hand clap right there?
How many of y'all got something from the Word today? Did you get something out of it? Altars are open. Worship team is coming. Let's worship God. If you need prayer for anything, come to the altar. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.